and part of the work that we were doing at the time, looking at the industry, we could see the rise of obviously Nollywood content and we could see the popularity in Nigerian music, clearly demonstrating that there was a very strong appetite for local content. So a shift away from people watching Hollywood movies or listening to rap music from North America to kind of like indigenous. Hello, welcome to the Experience Pod. My name is Chiwezi Ihebuzo. The Experience Pod is a one-on-one interviewer-led podcast that discusses the adoption and utilizations of relevant emerging technologies and trends for impact-oriented professionals, researchers, developers, and students who demand realistic and thought-provoking perspective on the opportunities and challenges presented by these phenomena in our unique environment. The global gaming industry is expected to have a compound annual growth rate of 12% from 2020 to 2025. Based on global revenues from 2019 and 2020, gaming is the most lucrative entertainment industry and one of few industries that have seen major growth during the pandemic. With business opportunities and new technology development, the future of gaming makes for exciting conversations. However, we rarely focus on what this future would look like, specifically in developing markets like Nigeria. Now, to add their insights to this conversation, we're joined by Hugo Obi, founder of Malio Games, Nigeria's first indigenous gaming company, and Joanna Rikie, who leads strategic partnership and business development in the Middle East and Africa for Unity Technologies a global software provider and platform for gaming content. Joanna is also a speaker and an advocate for diversity within gaming. Welcome to both of you, and we're excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So we'll start with some background information first. For those who might not be familiar with you, Hugo, could you explain what Malio Games does and expand a bit on what led to you founding this organization? Yeah, sure. So Malio builds African-inspired games for mobile, um, for Android and iOS. We build our games using the Unity game engine. Thinking around building games or African-inspired games was driven by a couple of factors. First, was the rise of mobile. So back in 2012, when we set up Malia Games, mobile was becoming the core driver for consumption of entertainment content. This obviously has accelerated since then. And part of the work that we were doing at the time, looking at the industry, we could see the rise of obviously Nollywood content and we could see the popularity in Nigerian music, clearly demonstrating that there was a very strong appetite for local content. So a shift away from people watching Hollywood movies or listening to rap music from North America to kind of like indigenous music, which had different spices and flavors. If you remember back in like in in the late 2000s, if you went to a party, we were listening to like R&B, we're listening to rap, we're listening to hip hop. And then obviously towards the late 2000s, that trend changed where if you went to a party and they were playing like any of this Western music, people said, you know, no, 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 give us the local flavor. And that obviously now is like commonplace, right? Nobody thinks about it. You can go to an event and the whole time you're there, 
it's 100% Nigerian music and everybody's having a great time, right? So, so that was that was part of the reason around that. And at the time, there was very little activity. Most of the content that was available for gaming, I mean, th there is also the conversation around who's a gamer, right? Back then again, traditionally, you would think about gamers as like young boys on their consoles, right? This is again, that late 2000s, right? And, and that was what the definition of a gamer was right and today you could ask your mom oh mom what are you doing and she's like oh i'm playing candy crush right but she would <laughs> never think of herself as a gamer or you're with your wife driving down the road driving somewhere and she's on the phone or with your friends and they're on the phone like trying to like eat up like the two minutes quick on a game to like get some consumables or unlock a next level or something like that right so there's been a significant shift in terms of who a gamer is and that was part of the reason why we thought this might be an industry that we can actually build, right? And that is the work that we've been doing since 2012. Wow, fantastic. I, I can totally relate. I, I remember when I was young, I to go to my cousin's house to play games on their computer. Their dad, my uncle would be very upset because he would obviously need to work and we would be playing Dangerous Dave and all these other games. But like you rightly said, um, technology has made it very accessible. I mean, you're bored, you pick up your phone, you're playing a game and that has absolutely changed what the definition of a, of a gamer is. Thank you for that feedback. So moving on, Unity Technologies may be uh, a name that people haven't heard of, even if they know some of the games built on Unity's engine, such as Pokemon Go or Assassin's Creed. Joanna, could you give a brief overview of Unity, its main verticals within the gaming and, and what it means to be a game engine? Unity is the world's leading platform for creating and operating real-time 3D. So content. So our platform provides a comprehensive set of software solutions to create, operate, and monetize interactive real-time 2D and 3D content for mobile phones, tablets, PC, consoles, and everything augmented and virtual reality devices. So as of June 1st, 2020, we had approximately 1.5 million monthly active creators in more than one 190 countries and territories worldwide. So the application developed by this creator were downloaded over 3 billion times per month in 2019 and on more than 1.5 billion unique devices. So what we can see basically is the dramatic growth of end user demand for interactive content is driving industry beyond gaming to embrace the advantage of real-time 3D content. Creators are leveraging our platform to provide faster content creation and efficient deployment across formats and use cases. So today, even Fortune and Global 500 companies in industries such as architecture, engineering, construction, automotive, transportation, manufacturing, film, television, and retail are using Unity across the product creation lifecycle, including research, design, manufacturing, and marketing. So Unity today is now a public company and started trading on the NYSE in September 2020. So thank you. Fantastic. Wow. Thank you. I have to actually confess before, before we decided we were going to have this session, I hadn't heard of Unity before. And once I did my research, I, I found I was like, wow, this is actually a very big company that is powering a lot of games and, and a, a lot of sort of applications in the real time space. So it's a huge organization and it just goes to show that you guys are doing an awesome job. Well done for that. 
Thank you. Okay, so Hugo, uh, Malio has become known for creating digital versions of games or situations that are familiar to Nigerians. For example, riding Okada, or even more recently, the card game What? What are the main differences you see between gaming content being produced locally and internationally? So there are some nuanced differences. I think for us, it's more around the, the narrative, the storyline, right? So if you take What King, for example, that's a game that anybody or most people who grew up, I can't say for people who are growing up now, but I would say most people who grew up in the 90s, right? would have encountered what in some form, right? If you know, went to a university in Nigeria, you would have played what. So that tells a story for us, right? If you were in the West or you, you grew up in America, you played a card game called Uno. You played other kinds of card games, but not necessarily what. What in itself is kind of like very unique to Nigeria and the West African region, right? So bringing that into this sort of like global content ecosystem, right? is part of the work that we do. And this is part of what sort of like drives what we do. You mentioned a game called Okada Rider that we built a couple of a couple of years back. Another game called Mosquito Smasher that we built a couple of years back. These are like things that people can, can relate and resonate with. And like, yes, they don't necessarily tell a story in terms of like historical, but they are a representation of who we are, right? So for us, it's a different form of enjoyment and I feel like this is kind of similar to when you watch like a Nollywood movie and the experiences are things that you can relate to it, whether it's like a story about a mother-in-law or like an uncle who became wealthy or somebody who had some kind of like tragic circumstances or made some bad choices. You can see how those are relatable in the same way that you can see how a first-person shooter game is relatable to somebody from North America, right? I might not necessarily be relatable from people from other parts of the world. Absolutely, absolutely. So the, the geography sort of determines the content of the games. But could you talk a bit more about the process of design or even the way it's consumed? How, how are they finding these games, these locally sort of developed games? So, so this is where we still have a big challenge. There's a lot of fragmentation within the content distribution and content discovery process. So there is the optimal way that we expect people to kind of like discover our content, right? Which is you go online because these games are available in the cloud through the Google apps, the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. And people go there and then they download, right? But the reality is that we live in an environment where people are very data sensitive. Data cost is a big issue. And there's also an educational component to this. So somebody sees a game. And they say, oh, can you help me get that game? They don't realize that actually the phone that they have is a powerful computer and this is something that they can do themselves. It's a learning curve, right? If you think about the first time that you got a smartphone, right? I, I don't know if you remember back in the days when if you got a phone, the phone came with a manual and actually you <laughs> spent hours reading through the manual to actually understand every single feature, right? Now it's kind of like first instinct, right? So you get a phone, you literally know everything that the phone does. And in some cases, when you don't know, it's part of the discovery because the way products are designed these days is so perfect that you sort of like gradually figure yourself into the space, right? So you still have that issue. So what we're seeing within Nigeria is kind of like MNO distribution platforms. So it's like telcos who have their own content distribution platforms. We're also seeing a lot of like physical installers. So like the experience that you and I would have would be that we would buy a phone. Uh, we will, we know the basket of apps that we want to have on the phone. So whether like the social apps, communication apps, like banking or financial apps and stuff like that. 
So we'll go in and, and install all of those. And then maybe there are some apps that we find we're curious about. So whether it's like music, entertainment, in terms of like videos and stuff like that, and we'll get those. For a significant group of people, that experience is slightly different in that when they go to buy a phone, as part of that phone purchase process, they actually have apps installed for them, right? So somebody unlocks the phone for them, sets it up, and puts a basket of applications within the phone. And these are like popular like apps that everybody must have, right? Sure. And this, for What's the that? most part, determines how people discover content. So that's kind of like unique to like Nigeria in a way. Again, still a lot of work to do in that regard in terms of building our own content into the pipeline. Okay, great. You mentioned before that for your games, which uh, translate traditional games to virtual gaming environments, you expect to see the greatest growth from first time players, including women. Now, when designing games, is there a difference in how you approach user experience design for games that will appeal to, let's say, first time, first time or, or less frequent players or people that are not particularly experienced with gaming? Is that considered part of your design process? Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of like design principles that we adapt to kind of like reduce the, the layers and the kind of user onboarding process, right? So a lot of advanced games, a lot of the most sophisticated games from big studios already apply these principles. So we're essentially doing something that the industry is already doing, right? But, but we're very conscious of the fact, as I mentioned, it's not every single person who is educated to the, to the level or familiar with how games work. So going to the settings section and doing some configurations before you actually start playing right most people expect to just hit the yeah. play button and be able to like just jump in right and spend a couple of minutes to kind of like have a feel of the game and then decide if they want to invest more time to understand how the game actually works the other place that we pay significant attention to is the use of colors so we know that within our environment we love very vibrant colors it's available everywhere in our architecture in our fashion even in our music right so we use a lot of like really, really soft colors that is kind of like gender sensitive to a certain degree. So, I mean, those are kind of like the, the ways that we would think about design factoring in that a lot of these users are first time smartphone users or first time gamers and like their experience of games might have been way up there and we need to kind of like do something very similar. Absolutely. That's very important. And I think what you said around using different colors just to sort of appeal to these sort of first time demographics, it's, it's very insightful and something that could definitely help drive adoption. Okay. So Joanna, we'll switch back to you for a few minutes. So Unity operates in the mobile and the console space. Compared to mobile, console gaming tends to be higher cost for the user, both for initial hardware and even the game purchases. Globally, mobile gaming makes up the largest segment of the total gaming revenue. And this is a fast growing segment. However, revenues from console games in Nigeria was 5.3 million USD in 2018, and it's forecasted to actually reach 12 million US dollars in 2023. Looking specifically now at the sub-Saharan market, how would you describe opportunities for console gaming adoption in comparison to mobile or even PC? Is console gaming still a worthwhile area for investment in Nigeria? What do you think? First of all, let's look at the pro and cons of mobile gaming for console and for mobile gaming. I would say for the console, both on the consumer and on the developer side, there is a high price ticket. For example, the developer requires access to a development kit that itself requires the approval of the developer. And 
for what I understood from some developers in certain countries, there is some issue with the acquisition of the development kit. So that is a con. In terms of pros, there is a, a good chance to be invested in. This is the fastest growing market, as you said. There is the emergence of eSports as well. That is for console. However, the advertising for console game is still a little bit more difficult. In terms of mobile, as we all know, Africa as a whole and Nigeria is a mobile market and mobile games development is accessible in using the engines uh, like Unity and, and console as well. It doesn't require an additional development kit. It's easy to publish on different platform. The cons will be that the mobile apps market is really saturated. There is some poor games on the market. However, I do think there is still opportunities of investing in Nigeria for console. And I'm talking about console game development here. The developer will still need to take into account that uh, of dispositive aspects. So there is a growing community of game developer, but as well a growing community of gamers with the, the emergence of esport. Of course, the, the cons for the console development can be multiplied, so roadblocks can be customs for the development kit, issue with the infrastructure as well, that we don't know the frequent power cut. So the content target market may not be Nigeria itself, so can they really leverage the growing population? That's the question that I had, but I still think that there is an opportunity of investing in Nigeria for console. Yeah, okay, fantastic. Thanks. So, but where do you see that, I mean, in terms of that investment in your experience or in your view, where do you think that investment within that game in, in Nigeria and in Africa generally, where do you see that, what vertical do you see that investment going into in the gaming space? What vertical? Yes. So you had mentioned around the actual console development, you had mentioned the studios, the talent and, and things like that. So I'm just trying to get a sense of what you think is the area that has the most sort of potential uh, for investment. Yeah, I understand. Sorry. So I would say the, the human capital game. So here I think that the investment will be uh, more on the human capital that in terms of the game developers, investing on, in the game developers who will be able to create content, content that can be used not only in Africa as a continent, but globally as well, because there is this first of a diversification of content. No, I actually agree with you on that. Obviously, population in Africa is large. Nigeria specifically has a growing youth population, I think with 45% under 19. And this is the, the stage where people are sort of are super interested in, in gaming. And if there's some investment in sort of upskilling and making them aware of the potential opportunities that they could gain from actually just learning, learning to be in the gaming space to, to mm. develop games and build content. I think that is something that would definitely help and address potentially the unemployment issues. So thank you for that. Okay, so we'll move on to things like emerging technologies. So let's look a little more at Nigeria's uh, mobile trend. So now by 2025, nearly half a billion people will be using mobile internet, a third of which will be in Ethiopia and Nigeria. Nigeria will also have over 150 million smartphone connections by 2025, the most in Sub-Saharan Africa. This is a huge potential user base of first-time you know, mobile gamers. 
But aside from just more people, what impact will these changes have on the gaming industry in sub-Saharan Africa? So maybe we can hear from Hugo first and then we'll get Johanna's feedback. So those are some impressive stats. And, and that is a very tough question to kind of like answer accurately. Just because the change is very rapid, right? And the way the industry is moving is pretty much unpredictable, sort of like what will drive future growth. So one thing that we know is that people look at games as a form of entertainment, right? It's like a pastime activity, right? Some of the trends that we're starting to see are, for instance, like games that help people sort of like earn some form of income by completing tasks, right? The devices that are available have way more computing powers. So people are also building like gamified learning experiences, gamified investment tools. A lot of things that people traditionally did in the past is kind of being gamified more and more, right? So are we going to see more like educational gamification, sort of like drive online learning? Would we see that within like healthcare, new job creation? Honestly, I, I can't say, but this is almost like an evolving story, right? So we'll have to just kind of like watch and see. I agree. It's a bit of a tricky question. Joanna, do you want to sort of chime in here just to see if you want to add anything yes. to what you have said? Yes. So Nigeria will have over 150 million smartphone connection, right? But what we know is that tens of million, uh, if not the vast majority, will not be high-end smartphone. Mm -hmm. So add to the fact that time may not be affordable, plus the lack of easy payment method right now. Here is what I think will be the impact. Talking, of course, from a game development point of view. So first of all, the big line will be all positive impact will be the growth of the game development community. So firstly, I'm seeing an impact on the rapid structuration of the gaming ecosystem in Nigeria with the help of the public or private national or both or international investors. So we are already seeing in other countries in Africa, governments with the clear mandate of digital innovation or transformation. So to want to be the leader in creating and kickstarting those ecosystems in their region. So there are really clear engagement and investment there. So for example, I will talk about Ki, who is in French West Africa in Senegal, which is the Delegation for Entrepreneurship for Women and Youth. And this is an initiative from the President of the Republic, uh, Makisal to support and boost the entrepreneurship of women and young people in line with the objective of the Emerging Senegal Plan. So we as a leader in real-time 3D development content creation, we partner with LADER to really boost, they've, they've got different verticals and they also have these verticals of digital innovation. So they've got agriculture, they've got every type of other industry where they're supporting young people and women. And so we partner with them in the digital innovation. And you can see that the digital innovation now is not only a vertical, it's an overlay. So this is where you see the importance and the impact, not only on gaming, that we will have the smartphone, and the gaming in sub-Saharan African, because as I said, if Unity cover a multitude of industry, if you have those skills in gaming, you will have those skills to support 
and to grow the market, the job requirement, the job request in all the industry in Nigeria. Uh, I know Nigeria has an oil and gas industry, a fintech industry. So for me, I'm seeing the impact in a very high level way, saying, okay, there will be those uh, mobile, but what does that mean? That means that the infrastructure needs to be there, there needs to be investment. Mm. This is what I'm seeing here. So the impact here would be that developer will need as well to develop a light application because as I said, another impact is that the most of the device will not be high-hand device. So mm. developers will need to leapfrog into always providing and developing new content with graphics and performance, but light application. So perhaps there will be some developers that would think about how to keep aligned with the quality, but as well with the weight of the application. Another impact is, as you know, developers today are not being paid for their game. Yeah. If the target marketing is Nigeria, uh, the traditional monetization method cannot be used. Yeah. Because uh -huh. the, there is no credit card, card payment facilities in, in Nigeria. So you could, may be able to expand on that as I remember him working on the solution for this challenge. So. Adapted payment method should be adopted. So that will be an impact as well. And I'm thinking about uh, game developers that I recently interviewed. He's from Central African Republic and he's currently based in France. His name is Teddy Kosoko and he's developing an Android store of video games and ebooks to make the cultural and creative industry profitable in Africa. So he's currently looking at a release in 2022, but the whole thing is that it's creating a whole ecosystem with even card payments that you can buy from the shop. So I'm really looking forward to that. So I'm sure that there would be numerous solutions that would start germinating, then we will get some new app, new invention to, to be able to monetize and to create application in Nigeria. Fantastic. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, John. I think that was an awesome response. So the impact with these sort of huge numbers of smartphones that we'll see in the future is that obviously because of the level of sophistication of these phones, developers would have to de develop very light games, light, but still sort of effective. And also the other impact would be on sort of the revenue and the ability for gamers to start earning more income and speaking to you know payment models and, and business models thank you for that so i think that actually leads us to our next question which is around the business side of things you know the money side so you know although most of the industry growth is expected to come from mobile gaming now for game developers there is perhaps greater difficulty in building consistent customer base and generating sustainable revenue due to you know pressure of novelty variety as well as high market saturation in the last decade, we've seen various revenue models, including free-to-play games um, with ads, freemium models with paid upgrades to more sort of premium package. And we've also seen sort of adverts through in-app purchases and things like that. Hugo, what have you found to be the most successful model in Nigeria? Yeah, um, so in, in our experience, I mean, 
success is relative, isn't it? I, I wouldn't say that we have seen anything that's been sustainable over an extended period of time. We've gone through multiple phases and we've settled in the freemium space. You know, as you mentioned, you know, the games are available for free and, and we have like, you know, paid upgrades within the game and even that isn't doing as well and this is not just you know for nigeria this is global across the board the app stores global platforms so that means that you know big publishers in north america in asia in europe their content is available to consumers everywhere in the world right so you know the same way that we are competing for attention is the same way they're competing for attention and the users you know joanna mentioned the pain point around payment you know payment is still a big issue in this part of the world so your freemium model wouldn't be as successful, partly again because of this payment challenge. But even if you took that out of the equation, you know, a conversion of free users into paying users is, is a global challenge. But what we are seeing in terms of emerging new, what where we're looking at in terms of like, you know, where is the future? You know, how can we build sustainable long-term IPs, right? So, so not to think of the games as just content that people play and drop, but IPs that can be leveraged, right? On multiple mediums outside of people's phones, right? So, you know, like the acquisition point could be through the game, but the monetization can go way beyond the game, right? We've seen this with like, you know, a very good example of a game that's done this successfully is Angry Birds, right? You know, they started off as a game, you know, went into a TV show, became a theme park, you know, like have lots of merchandising, right? It's a long, it's a long play, right? We are also seeing loads of like crossovers where we have like big time celebrities um, who are known either through music or movies, right? Extending their IPs into games, right? You know, like one of the biggest ones was King Kardashian game that came out, I think, like in 2014. But we're also seeing that locally, you know, like with people like Davido and Faust the Bad Guy having their own games, right? And again, this is kind of like another way to extend the reach. So this is our view at the moment that it's kind of like building long-term IPs, thinking about monetization beyond the game. So yes, the games would monetize, but there's also a business opportunity outside of that. Fantastic. I mean, now that you said Angry Birds, I have an Angry Birds t-shirt or two, actually. So that's an interesting way. So just not looking at monetization from just the app itself or the game itself, but actually the sort of the spin-offs and what you could potentially gain from those. That's a very nice insight. Joanna, do you want to add anything to this? Sorry, yes. When we talk about uh, mobile gaming, we talk about the terms of monetization is in-app strategy or in-app advertising, in-app purchasing, type payments. And in terms of in-app advertising, for which is the most popular terms of monetization, there are several ad formats to choose from, such as rewarded video, banner ads, offer rule ads, etc. I can tell you about what Unity support and what we offer. We support publishers and advertising with Unity ads with a comprehensive monetization platform for Unity. It is really easy a way to monetize the player base to uh, fuel the player acquisition, but advertising the game across the largest gaming community. So with this in mind, I, I will just reply to your second question here and talk about the innovation in mobile gaming advertising. So here I can talk to you about AudioMob. 
Audiomob offer allows advertisers as well music labels to advertise to their target audience without interrupting the gameplay and using audio ads. Unlike rewarded video ads, you have to interrupt the gaming experience. So Mob was founded, I think, in 2019 or 2020, not long ago. And they are as well a Black-funded startup based in, in London. And they've been featured on Business Insider. They've raised $2 million in funding. And this is the type of initiative and new project, new type of tech business model that's going to grow from the digital transformation of the world, the digital innovation of the world. Thank you for that. Okay, so in other markets, part of what has grown the gaming industry, and I think Hugo touched on this, has been collaboration. For example, through entertainment industries like sports or films, and also the rise of gamification in other sectors, such as you know game-based learning in education or even gamified retail experiences. From your perspective, how would you describe you know the appetite for this kind of partnership in Nigeria, um, Hugo? So we've seen a lot of curiosity, you know, especially from the, the bank and finance and insurance space for the use of gamification to drive sort of like user engagement and retention. Right. This is kind of like our forte. You know, this is our area of expertise, right? And this is the value that we bring into other industries. And what was prevalent in the past was where brands were trying to build games to capture customers, right? To use that as a means for user acquisition, right? But I think that conversation is now starting to evolve around using gamification tools, which is an area where we are experts to improve their engagement numbers, to drive user retention, to drive customer referrals, right? Because these are kind of like the, the KPIs that drive their businesses, right? Again, still early days, right? There, there are not that many gaming companies available in Nigeria. You know, not a lot of people understand the value of gamification to their businesses. But, you know, we were speaking to an online educational um, company that is using gamification, right? for student onboarding, you know, and student retention, right? So what they do is they've gamified every single thing from the login process to, you know, the ability to unlock exams based on the number of items you've completed to obviously the reward and, you know, feedback loop that is built into the, the learning platform to kind of like drive dopamine, right? For the user experience. And what that company is seeing is that they're their customer retention numbers is much better from the point when they started using gamification in their platform compared to the time when it was just you know, a normal standard platform. So there is a huge opportunity for businesses across multiple verticals to apply gamification. And this is kind of like an ongoing conversation, right? And because people tend to do things that they are more comfortable and familiar with. And this is new, right? You know, this is in the last kind of like three to four years where companies around the world applying gamification. One of the biggest examples um, that we've seen is Robinhood, right? That's been talked about in the last 30 days is Robinhood, right? And how, you know, use of gamification has made it easy for first-time people to start trading, right? Interesting. Just to build on this question, would you say that the, the pandemic has sort of maybe affected this? Would you say you've had more demand for this sort of gamification in business sort of services due to COVID? I think absolutely, because, you know, one of the things that COVID has done, right, was to allow every single business to kind of like 
think outside of business as usual, right? So there was that complacency to kind of like keep on doing everything that we did because we were doing it every single day and we never had the time to step back and ask ourselves the question of what is it that we're actually trying to accomplish here, right? And how can we do this in a very smart format? Right. So I think like, yes, a lot of businesses have been rethinking the strategy and have had the time and space to do that because everybody has been locked down. And we're seeing a lot of like great ideas and great innovations come through. And now it's a question of how do we find the right partners who can help us implement some of these ideas. Right. You know, that's kind of like where we are right now, I think. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Johanna, looking at the trajectory of Unity, I mean, we can say that it's found like a really, really nice niche, you know, providing assets for other programmers to use when developing games so that, you know, they don't have to develop games from scratch and they can just build on the existing platform you already have. Do you think the success of Unity's model is a good indication of how open source or at least, you know, partly open developing will grow in the gaming industry? What I can tell you today is Unity is not open source. I, I would say I'm a business person and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would consider that as a technical question a little bit. So <laughs> if you allow me, I'm going to pass commenting on the education of this. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. No, no worries. That's fine. Okay. Let's move on to emerging technologies now. So we've spoken a bit about economic barriers to gaming adoption, but there are also very real technical barriers. I think Joanna mentioned this, uh, you know, with regards to the infrastructure and things like that. For future trends like seamless on the go cloud gaming or AR, VR gaming, user experience is dependent on high internet speed bandwidth and low latency. The global consensus is that these new trends will be driven mostly by 5G network. Despite Nigeria being one of the highest mobile data consumers globally, broadband internet penetration and general internet quality remains very low. In conversations about gaming, um, there tends to be a lot of optimism about the potential for games and you know the African continent and being able to leapfrog using or taking advantage of emerging technologies. Now, these lead to two questions. You know, the first thing is, is this leapfrog something you are already seeing, you know, in terms of how the African continent or African gaming quote making, you know, bigger strides than their counterparts who had come before us? And the second question is, in a country like Nigeria, where 3G and 4G penetration is still very low at 40%, are we underestimating the infrastructural challenges that could slow down the industry development in Africa? generally speaking. So I guess we can hear from Hugo and Joanna, if you want to add anything, then feel free. Yeah, so I think we touched on this around sort of like device capacity, right? Sure. You know, mm -hmm. I was looking online, the, the cheapest 5G device I could find was about $400, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that price point, you know, like you've sliced out what, like 85, 90% of the market already. And that is just one variable, right? And then when you start looking at the data cost required to run some of these devices. So in our experience, building content, building games, right? We factor in that a lot of users are sort of not like constant data users, you know, they switch on the data when they need the data, they switch it off when they don't, right? And, and that is kind of like the experience for a large majority of people in the market, right? So we design our games to be available offline, which means that you can consume the game when you're not connected to the internet. The other thing that you also have to factor in is that most people are using mobile data and not necessarily using stronger bandwidth, right? So I think that for kind of like the emerging of future technologies, 
it's going to be a challenge because it's dependent on devices that have much stronger capacity and require people to constantly have internet access, right? So if you look at, say, the use of AR and the use of VR, right? You know, VR is slightly different. We start talking about, like, the file size, right? So, you know, like, if you have to download an app that is over two gigabytes, right? You know, how much data is that going to cost? How much space do you need on your phone? And, you know, how important, right, is that? And then for a lot of these applications, they constantly refresh their content. And, you know, that means that you have to get constant updates, right? Updates. Which, again, eats into sort of like your device storage and consumes a lot of your, your data, right? So for, for this market, it's going to remain very light. In my view, it's going to remain very light if you want to have like larger penetration. It has to be light. It has to be data sensitive. So like, you know, offline mode and... I would even argue like minimal updates, right? You know, yes, sometimes as a developer, you're adding new features, but you have to recognize the fact that, you know, people might not update their apps, you know, partly because the, the cost of data, but also the fact that this is not something that people are used to, right? You know, if you check around people within your neighborhood or within your environment, you know, how many people are running on the latest operating system, the latest updates of their device's operating system, right? Even you recognize the fact that that is something that people think about, right? Why did they have a new update? How much time is it going to take? What's it going to cost? And do I have the storage to be able to do that? So in that sense, you have a little bit of a handicap that would limit our ability to enjoy this sort of like new technology. It might take a while. Once the cost starts to come down, we might see more adoption, but that might take a while to happen. And I agree with that view as well. Okay, so now let's talk a bit about data. So there's obviously data has been, you know, often referred to as the new oil. And we've seen a couple of people acquiring, including Unity, you know, which has acquired a couple of data analytic platforms and built up its, you know, analytics and player insight offering. Hugo, from your perspective on the development, how significant do you think data or predictive analysis will play in, in shaping game development? You think there's a role there? No, absolutely. I mean, data essentially is everything in our industry, from user acquisition to user retention to average time spent to, you know, revenue per active user, reactive user, you know, lifetime value of users. Like, it's an incredible amount of data points, you know, to tell you how important data is to us, right? You know, our, our game Watch King has five different data analytics tools embedded. We're looking at the same set of data from five different providers right? Mm. Just to have even better insights, right? So yes, you know, data drives the decisions that we make, you know, so to add a new feature, not to add a new feature, to continue to develop, you know, to do translations, you know, to do localizations, you know, like all of those is driven by data insights, right? So I'll give you a good example. If we, you know, we release our game Watch King, we start to see that there's a lot of installs coming through from Francophone African countries, you know, that drives us to do the localization or to do the translation into French, right? If we don't see that information come through, we don't make the decision, right? And that can also add to decisions made within the game. You know, if the game is too long, if we see churns at a certain point, you know, we, we make a decision to either ease or improve or increase the difficulty based on that, that, that data point. So this is kind of like core for the gaming space and for the mobile app space, to be honest. Interesting. 
Okay. So going back to our idea of developing games for non-traditional gamers, if you look at the, the Nintendo Wii, you know, that was disruptive in terms of shifting the concept of traditional gamer, you know, and focusing on innovating the experience of gaming rather than actual, you know, processing power and things like that. That being said, we didn't have, you know, the staying power that was expected. We're now having conversations around haptics and sensor technologies and how these will revolutionize the gaming experience. Do you think from the experience of Weed that this focus will persist in the long term or do you see these as more of just fringe novelty, you know, developments in the wild gaming conversation? Do you think at the end of the day, what really will matter is process, back to processing power or is there a room for the experience of the game, you know, the experiential aspect of, of gaming? So I, I guess we can hear from Hugo and Joanna if he wants to add anything to this. I actually don't have any comment on that question. So I don't know if, if Joanna has much better insight. In terms of the experience of the Wii and the conversations that are being made about optics and sensor technologies, already there were some companies developing this type of technology. So is that something that's going to persist in the long term? I, I believe so, because it's not only used in the gaming industry, it is used in a variety of industry. Sure. So if I hear you, it's, it's something that we should definitely be looking at, but maybe not at the moment. Let's even get the basics like infrastructure. Um, let's exactly. get that sorted out. Yeah. Understood. Okay. So, right, let's get to the interesting part of this session. So we're done with sort of all the, you know, in quote, booky stuff. So we've mentioned a lot of technologies and we've had a lot of conversation around AR, VR, data, and, and you know, emerging trends and things like that. But I mean, and this is for both of you now, which emerging technology, and it doesn't have to be right, it's just your prediction, which emerging technology would you say would have the most disruptive impact in gaming in sub-Saharan Africa in the next five to 10 years? So I think cloud gaming. There yeah. is, you know, there is a, a huge investment in hardware, normally from a pain point of gamers. And between having to expense hardware and taking a subscription on some different cloud gaming provider, I think the gamers will very soon have an easy choice because cloud gaming solve many problems. Really, the, the, the only things I would say, the caveat for that is you need a high-speed internet connection. So sure. basically, I will go back onto the infrastructure. Okay, okay, great. Hugo, what's your take? What emerging technology do you think will um, drive gaming so in sub-Saharan Africa? So years. mine is not so much an emerging technology, it's an existing technology, but I think that it's an existing technology that's evolving, right? Oh. For me, it's mobile phone, right? Hmm. You know, okay. better capacity, you know, better computing power, lower prices, right? So, you know, okay. you, you're going to pack in way more features, right? That today costs $400 and you're going to be able to compress all of those features into a device that is now available at sub $100 price range, right? So that for me is where the, the innovation will come through, right? The, the devices, the infrastructure is going to come to the consumer, right? As opposed to the consumer having to go to the infrastructure. 
Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And then what you said around the pricing as well, maybe even alternative models to saying rather than you want to get a phone that has this capacity, can I sort of pick and choose what elements of the device? Maybe that could be something that uh, could help inform pricing in the future. Interesting. Okay, so speaking of predictions, and again, for both of you, I did say this was the interesting part. Speaking of predictions, what, what was the last prediction that you got wrong? It doesn't have to be gaming related. It could be anything. It could be, you know, even as, as simple as you thought Man United would beat Man City. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if I want to use a distinct one, you know, I went into 2020 with a very clear mind of what we wanted to accomplish and i think you know this is obviously you know everybody else did that right but we were very energized we had a clear vision you know we had very clear q1 goals q2 goals and you know like we had a a training program lined up by some kind of like you know some kind of gaming apprenticeship program plan and obviously you know like 2020 didn't turn out the way we, we thought it was going to. I know this is obviously not unique to me and everybody would have their own 2020 stories, but you know, like, I think based on that, right, kind of like not having a too definitive 2021 plan and sort of like taking it as we see as kind comes. of thing rather than, you know, <laughs> doing stuff, but like, you know, we're not too definitive in our objectives and outcomes. Let's put it that way understood understood and it would have been interesting to learn a bit more about that apprenticeship program i'm sure there's a lot of hope and a lot of things were hinged on, on the success that, that's interesting how about you johanna so i don't know if it's okay to say too sure please um, go on yeah why not so first of all the maturity and the visibility of the african gaming development community four or five years ago when I really started to network with uh, the community, I did predict that there would be a fire and there would be some attraction from uh, international investment and the global gaming industry to the African market. And so I was comparing the gaming industry with the fintech industry, which uh -huh. we know has already exploded, you know, and like there is Stripe, Stripe, one of the fintech uh, company from Nigeria that have recently been acquired. So I got the prediction wrong, which is we, we now just seeing the interest from the global gaming industry. And so by the time that everything is ready and there is really a huge market, not only from the game development, but from the uh, paying consumer base. I'm always, always optimistic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so this is why actually I started the channel and my target audience, my YouTube channel. So my target audience is, is CEO, gaming professionals, so publishers, etc., etc. So I get a lot of requests from publishers and yeah, publishers actually to get to be getting in touch with the African gaming development because they're looking for human resources, but they're also looking for content. So yeah, so that prediction, I'm being very positive because <laughs> I'm not the only one. There is a, a big community. The second okay. prediction that I got wrong was uh, the monetization method maturity for that the government and the private corporation would have predicted and forecasted the explosion of the, the gaming industry. Interesting. All right. Okay. So the next question here is from our previous guest, 
So we had Moses Babatokwe, who was a co-founder of Filmhouse Cinema. So Filmhouse is a cinema chain and a production company. So we typically ask our previous guests to ask questions to future guests who are coming on the show. And he has two questions. So it's nice that we have two guests today to answer them. The first question is, what is your take on investment culture? in Nigeria. I guess we can expand that to Africa. And you also asked, what is your take on what the private sector can do to influence the political governance that you want to see in Nigeria? So I think the first question, if Joanna, you can take the first question in terms of what you think. I think it would be nice to get your perspective, seeing as you're not Nigerian. So you, the first question is, question? sure. His first question is, he asked, what is your take on the investment culture in Nigeria? And are we talking in Nigeria and everything confronted, all the industry confronted. Yeah, yeah, sure, everything. Yeah. It doesn't have, yeah, everything. Just, okay. Um, um, if you have Nigerian friends, you know, do they invest? What's their culture like? What do they, you know, just to get a sense of what your view is. Okay, so, all right, Alice. Well, I didn't understand the question like that. So, okay, yes, uh, I think investment, well, the Nigerian friends, most of them uh, either entrepreneur, something that I always admire with Nigerians is that they first to find the next big thing and to be so resilient and persistent and hardworking as well. So with this in mind, in terms of investment, my friends are some people that invest and they get invested in as well. Awesome. That's a good response. Hugo, how about you? The second question, what's your take on what the private sector can do to influence the kind of political governance that you want to see in Nigeria? That That is a, an extremely tough question, I, I must admit. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. What can they do? So I think that generally people gravitate towards success, right? So we've seen that more recently with fintech. We also saw that with Nollywood for instance, right? So, you know, there was very little government involvement initially. And then, you know, once it became a cultural export, you know, the government sort of like became active, right? So I think that what the private sector can do certainly is to focus its energy in building industries or helping support companies, right? To get them to a level where they start to demonstrate some kind of like I mean, international, local appeal, you know, like job creation, you know, like skills acquisition. And then you will then see the government sort of like move forward, right? So the government has an imperative to create jobs, right? To build an economy. Nobody wants to see unemployed youth, right? So if the private sector can drive initially, the government is always willing to come through, right? You know, be it through state governments or the federal government. So that, that's my thought. It's first of all, like do the proof of concept, demonstrate sure. success, and then the government will come through, right? We do have significant inefficiencies in the public sector, but as you said, there is something that the private sector can do. So that, that's my view. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Very quickly, just to conclude, we would like to get a question. We often say disruption is interrelated and we would like to get one perspective you would like to get from the next interviewee, from both of you. Yeah, I can go first. My question for the next interviewee is, how is Bitcoin impacting mm. the Nigerian economy? Fantastic question. <laughs> Fantastic question. Okay, Joanna, how are you? What role do you think the government should play uh -huh. in the 
digital transformation and innovation of the country. Wow. Interesting. Fantastic question. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you very much, Hugo. Thank you very much, Joanna. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. We hope you've enjoyed the session as well. And we'll definitely look forward to keep an eye out for Unity and for Mario games. Thank you so much. And thank you for being at the Experience Pod. Mm -hmm.